Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. And tonight, some of the latest winners of Elrond Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, this time in Volume 39. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate it if you took a moment to follow on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. I also have to let you know that our latest volume of Elrond Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, featuring the winners I'm about to interview tonight, is now available in bookstores throughout the U.S., Canada, the U.K., South Africa, and Australia, as well as through all major online retailers. Tonight, I've got four special guests, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves. We have two writer winners and two illustrator winners, having just one and now published in Volume 39. So starting with you, Elaine. I'm Elaine Midko, and I wrote the story, A Trickle in History. I'm J.R. Johnson, and I wrote the story, Piracy for Beginners. I'm Sarah Morrison, and I illustrated Death and the Taxman. I'm April Solomon, and I illustrated Moonlight and Funk. All right, so what makes this special in this interview is it's four against one. So I'm, uh, I'm always amazed each year. I mean, I've been doing this for a while. I originally got affiliated with uh, Writers of the Future in the second, second year. And um, so the thing that amazes me the most is, I mean, there's your basic tropes for science fiction and fantasy, but every year it's like, how do they think of that? How'd that come up with that idea? And so I'm just curious uh, between both of you now, how you came up with your story idea, because it was just so fascinatingly different and yours as well. So a little bit then, if you've got your little elevator pitch that you can expand upon there, then go for it, Elaine. Um, uh, my story takes place in the future after the second Holocaust, where the last Jewish survivors on Earth are struggling to survive, to live, but also struggling to maintain their identity. And they go on a rather desperate plan to go back in time and rewrite the past. Um, in terms of how that story emerged, uh, it's, it's really just, uh, it's, I guess for Jewish people, it's, it's almost like a dream. It's something that you desperately want. Um, but I also want it to reflect uh, some of my own family history. Um, my mother was a Holocaust survivor, and some of her stories and her effort to uh, maintain a Jewish life certainly resonated with me. Awesome. My story was uh, a little more abstract when it started. It was based on the idea that if you have ships, no matter where you are, no matter what time you're in, you have pirates. And so if you translate that into a future system, uh, <laughs> you're in space, and so you have space pirates. And I love that idea, and I loved um, the idea of exploring what it would mean to be out in space. And that translated from this very uh, abstract idea to something that was more grounded, and I needed a main character. 
I needed. She dates. rocked. She seriously rocked in your character. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. But I was really thinking, okay, why would this matter, right? And so I ended up with the character of a disgraced war hero who uh, is confronted by pirates and has to find a way to battle not only the external threats, but her internal problems and save her people and save Earth's best chance for peace. So that's what was interesting. Yeah, what was interesting that too. I mean, I'll go back and forth on this stuff here, but uh, Robert Heinlein wrote about Owen um, Hubbard. He said, I always thought there were certain basic storylines, but I learned something different with, with uh, your stories. It's, it's the person that learned better, you know, and she did that. She was, you know, she had the option. She could have she bailed, you know, she could have, like, done the ignoble thing and nobody would have faulted her for it, mm -hmm. but she didn't. She risked what could have been a very poor outcome for her, but she maintained her integrity on it, which I, I'm a sucker for those kinds of stories. <laughs> I, I love that kind of stuff. I like it where the person does the right thing in the, in the, in the end and it pays off. Yeah. Heaven knows it doesn't always happen that way, but I like it when it does and like to think that Nine times out of ten, it will. So that's 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 a story of hope for me, that type of a story. I agree. And yeah. I, I'm glad that came through for you because I love that. And I, I love a hopeful story. Um, and I love the idea that if you do the right thing, if you try your best, I mean, it doesn't always work out like you say. Yeah. But, you know, I want to live in a world where we still hope for that and yeah. where people where, still where it can actually happen. do it. Yeah. And in your story, too, just... Like you said, don't forget who you are. You know, that's what resonates and that's what rings loud and clear in your story. You know, don't forget who you are. It's, it's funny that you say that because as we were growing up as kids, my dad, whenever we left, we, we go to school, we go outside to play. He, if he was home, he would call out, remember who you are, remember who you are. And of course, as we were growing up, it began to lose importance. I mean, and I recall as a teenager, we would respond, who are we? You know, and we'd, we'd be. <laughs> um, but as I've grown older, uh, it's it does resonate. It's this idea: keep keep your inner core, regardless of what's going on around the world, regardless what others uh, might be doing or saying. Keep your inner core. Remember who you are. And exactly. Yeah. All right, lady artists. So now, Sarah. Um, tell me about like the story that you illustrated and why you picked the illustration that you did. I most appreciate getting to illustrate real characters, people who have some emotion and expression going on behind them. And I also love to illustrate the types of clothing that they wear, especially if I get to do any fabric folds. So after doing sketches to try to figure out, you know, what, sort of character, how I would want to tell the story through imagery, I had to do Frank, who is the main character, well, one of the main characters, and he, it's, I'm not giving anything away. This is, this, this happens within the first couple of pages of the story, and he's described as having a goofy smile, and I knew exactly who to ask to pose for me to capture this. I, <laughs> I knew I had to make this, this piece of it come alive. And it was amazing, and it was just in the event last night too on the on the release video, how they had it, and then all of a sudden, boom! There, there's his head, his face. I loved the reaction. Yeah, that was really good. And he's he is so that person in the story. 
That was awesome what you did. Thank you so much. And uh, April, on your story, um, Moonlight and Funk, so how did you establish what you were doing and how you, you know, the elements that you pulled into it and the, and the person. It's like you, you had all kinds of elements that you successfully incorporated into it and, and the way you did in your image, the, uh, the circular, it draws your attention, it, it circles around and it draws your attention into the center, which is where you see the girl there. So um, tell me about your story and how you selected that as your image. Um, so... There was a lot of uh, ideas that I had for this piece because mm. the uh, author, Miriam uh, Zenos, who was such an amazing author, and she wrote such a fun story because in the story, you know, there's a vampire and there's a dragon, and I'm not revealing anything, uh, but those two characters coming together, you know, on the beach in Florida uh, really sparked my imagination very, very intensely. And I put together some thumbnails, and I sent them off to my art director, and she really loved the spiral composition, which I know in my artwork I tend to do a lot of circles because mm -hmm. for me it's very pleasing because it keeps your eye just going deeper and deeper and inward to the center of the piece. And so we uh, decided on uh, this circular composition with the main figure in the center. I mean, not quite off to the center exactly, but, you know, just a little bit off to the, the left and and the dragon circling her. And and uh, just like what Sarah was saying, you know, I, I knew I needed to nail this piece. So I, uh, so the character is a 20-year-old female Middle Eastern vampire. <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> of course. And so I knew I needed to find a model that was 20 years old. She had to be Middle Eastern. And, uh, I, of course, there's no vampires. Um, <laughs> but I could, I could at least find those two things. So I hunted down this model, and she was a wonderful model. Uh, I had some friends help me with the lighting, took really good pictures. I had solid reference to work from. And I knew that was going to be something that was really important for me to bring this piece home. And through that lighting information on the character, I could then translate that onto the dragon, and that could also look like it was realistic as well. So I had a lot of fun doing it. Absolutely. Okay, so now, obviously, you're winners, and we just had our big awards ceremony last night, and you've been here for a week for the workshop. So if you can explain then a little bit how long you've been striving to win this, this competition and what, from your perspective, makes it so important to both yourself and to the genre? Well, obviously, I, I think one beautiful thing about this contest is that it brings in new people, mm -hmm. new people into the field of science fiction and fantasy on both sides, the illustration and the writers. And there's so many perfect aspects of this contest. I mean, one that I absolutely admire because I've been trying for, I think I started about five years ago. Basically, I retired from my job and I just started writing more. I'd always thought about writing. And that's another thing, just going on a tangent. I love the age differences. I love it that I can win this contest. And this year I turned, uh-oh, I don't know if I want to say. I, I'm older than I used to be. Um, but uh, You got a second career. You're launching I, a second career. I, I am launching a second career, and it's because this contest let me do it. But in so many ways, it's perfect. I, I'll just give you one example that is, it's in simplicity, it's yet utterly brilliant. This contest could run once a year and pick 12 winners. It could do it that way. 
but it doesn't. It runs four times a year, once every three months, and, and it picks three winners each time. What does that do to people like me? It makes me write four stories a year. If you only did it once a year, I would write you one story a year. Yeah. So, so this contest actually helped me become a better writer because it made me write more. That's how it works. It was so smart. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And, and it certainly did help me. Uh, there were other aspects that I think are also very supportive if you're just trying. Um, the website has a forum. And that's where so many aspiring writers go there and they post things and they might ask questions of each other. Oh, I'm, I'm stuck on a character. Is it okay? I'm just making stuff up now, but you can find real questions there. Is it okay for my character not to be revealed that she's a vampire until the middle of the story if I still have speculative elements? I mean, and the people will go back and forth and we'll discuss it. And then sometimes they'll discuss some of the stories that have been published. Oh, why do you think this particular story worked? Or I'm doing a story on, I don't know, on Abraham Lincoln meeting, uh, being advised by Julius Caesar. Has anybody ever done that before? Uh, and it's like, well, you know, back in volume 23, there was da-da-da. Uh, but the forum is extremely supportive. You think that it's a contest and people are competing with each other. They are helping each other. Everybody in the forum, if, if one person wins, everybody takes a win. Yeah, everybody does. Um, and over time, um, I learned things from the forum that definitely improved my writing. And I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. Oh, good. Um, I actually, this is funny to say now, I'm glad you said that, Elaine, but I actually did not visit the forum before I started. I didn't really know about those resources. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that I managed to win anyway, which is great. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I would definitely recommend that to anyone who has questions about this. Um, but I, myself, I entered four times. I forget over exactly how many years. Mm -hmm. um, a couple. Um, but I entered four times. And I actually won. I entered one, two, three, and got a silver honorable mention, I think, in the last two, which is great, right? Yay. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was encouraged yeah. But um, pandemic, all of that, I, you know, it was the last day of the last quarter, you know, when I was going to enter and I thought, I don't have anything new. I'm going to enter the last story that I did, the silver honorable mention. And so I just want to remind people that you can re-enter stories. If you don't have one in particular, I think writing a new story every quarter is a fabulous idea. Do it if you can. Uh, submit it if you can. But if you don't, if you don't have a story, then submit something you already have, even if you've already put it in. Um, just keep at it. And in my case, it was great. It worked out. And I'm very grateful for that. And so, yeah, it was an incredibly encouraging experience. And um, the whole contest in general is something that is just very supportive. It does not feel like, as Elaine said, it does not feel like a competitive environment, despite the fact that it's a contest. And it's just a great way to, tr to try to get writing under your feet and to make progress. So. Good, good. And yourself, Sarah, so what do you see as, was it, was it meant for you? How many times have you entered? Was it meant for you? And what do you see as the value also for other competition for the genre in, in, in general? I entered once before, and then the second time I entered was the time that I won. The contest is definitely a very 
uh, supportive community. I, uh, as an artist, did not enter the forum. I peeked at it once and noticed there just wasn't as much uh, engagement from the illustrator community as there was from the writer community. And I already do have some other artist resources. But coming here, there is definitely a sense of community. Uh, everyone is, we're all in it together and we're all here to support each other. And you may have heard this particular phrase tossed around a lot, but I resonates with me a lot, which is the pay it forward attitude. Mm -hmm. um, we are all here. We are all here to help each other up and to continue, you know, keeping this going with the next generation. And that particular, uh, you know, underlying motivation is present with every judge, every you know workshop speaker, every person who is. Uh, every, literally everybody who takes takes part in this competition or helps helps run it. Absolutely. Thank you. And yourself? Um, so uh, one of my favorite things about this entire experience is that uh, just last year I was at Dragon Con for my first time. And that's in Atlanta, Georgia. And because I draw mostly dragons, I was told that, hey, you should go to Dragon Con because I think you do well. So I did. And I didn't do particularly well, but uh, I did have a booth, Galaxy Press Publishing, to my left. And Kim was running the booth, and she saw my work. And she said, oh, my gosh, your dragons are wonderful. Um, have you ever entered the Writers and Illustrators of the Future Award by L. Ron Hubbard? I'm like, um, no, never heard of it. And she said, well, I think you should enter. And so I did, and I won. <laughs> and it was so surreal to have that moment. Um, yeah, and speaking of surreal, we have a, a certain judge. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 of course. Um, and, of course, when Kim told me that one of the judges was Larry Elmore, uh, one of the greatest fantasy illustrators that have ever existed, no argument there, you know, end of conversation, um, I was so excited to not only enter, but hopefully have the chance to meet this man who inspired me to draw and paint ever since I was six years old. And Sarah and I, we share the same idol. And I finally got to meet him at this amazing event. And it's just been like a dream come true for me. Yeah, what was... I spoke with Larry last night after I I got home from... I changed clothes and mm. was taken down you know, tearing down the event last night. So I got back here about two and it was up with, with Larry was still up. So it was up with him and a few of the other judges till three. Mm -hmm. And Larry just said when he was, um, when you acknowledged him on stage, because Tom Wood was saying, yeah, you got all red. And he said, I was just like <clears throat> trying to hold himself so he wouldn't start crying. You know, he was just <laughs> so emotionally touched he was just like he's one of the most humble people i know and it's interesting the judges and the illustrators the artists and writers are i mean they're the top of their game we've got craig elliott he was in charge of design for netflix he's now moved over to disney almost every disney um, animation film that you see, he's one of the main creators behind it. It's his creation that does that. He's known about the contest since the con since Writers and Illustrators of Future first began, and I had him on a podcast uh, a while ago. 
And he said, no, I didn't, I never entered Illustrators of the Future because I didn't think I was good enough. So I didn't, you know, I didn't want to enter. And that's something that I wanted like to address with you all now is you can't, there's a, a obvious datum, you can't win if you don't submit, if you don't enter. And there's a problem with that in that because you're, it's just all inside your head, it's all inside your, your soul, and um, to send something out, the fear of rejection, the fear of somebody saying, oh, man, this sucks, or in varying degrees of, of some type of invalidation, what would you say, starting with you again, Elaine, uh, say or suggest to, to writers on where they should enter and why there's no judging. I mean, even on, on the form, anything on the website, anything connected with the Rise of the Future, if someone comes in and, and does something that's um, um, hateful or disrespectful, you get one warning, second time you're out of there. You know, you're not welcome. That's, it's, not, it's so not what we're about. You don't need that in order to improve. So anyway, so we'll start with you here. Well, I think if you're an aspiring writer, uh, one very nice thing uh, about writers of the future is that you can sometimes sense your own improvement. And I'll give you an example. I said that I started uh, about five years ago. That, that's, you know, that's really, I retired and then I started writing more. So I sent in my first story to writers of the future, and it came back as an honorable mention. That was the first story I submitted anywhere. Now, honorable mention, you don't end up being published, but I have to tell you, this was rather embarrassing, but I started dancing in front of my living room window, and people saw me. <laughs> um, but I was so happy, and it was a validation. It was that, wow, you know, they, they thought it was good enough that it wasn't that bad. And, and if you start with it, and let's say you get, uh, I, I think it's called a pass. We're passing on it. Um, that's okay, because then you just do another one three months later, uh, hopefully three months later. And now uh, I believe they've started something new either this year or last year. It's a general form. You're not going to – you guys get mm -hmm. too many uh, submissions in order to do, you know, very detailed responses. But sometimes if there's a decision to pass, they'll send you a list. They'll say um, – I forgot the name of the form, but it's something like, uh, we passed you, but we thought you'd like to see this form. And, and this form has a whole list of errors. And if they send you that form, then it means that, yeah, you know, you've got something here, but you also have one of these uh, issues that, that we don't care for. But even just getting the form is an encouragement. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it worthwhile. It's, it's a learning process. It isn't just submit the story and you're going to win. And obviously most people don't win and that's fine. It is such a strong learning process. And that's why I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. Brandon Sanderson had submitted, I think five or six novels and he was ready to give up because it had no reaction, no nothing, rejections. And someone suggested writers of the future. And so he 
uh, submitted a short story. He's only written a, a handful, but he got an honorable mention, and he said that honorable mention is what kept him from quitting, getting that. It gave him that enough of that. Okay, you can keep on going. Hmm. You know, don't don't quit. And so he's. And it was about half a year later that he sold his first novel, and definitely, you know, he's doing good. Pat Rothfuss shopped his was shopping his novel around. Um, couldn't get anything. Someone suggested Rise of the Future. He took a chapter, um, The Road to Levenshire, and turned it into a short story. That that one, Kevin Anderson took him under his wings, introduced him to his editor, who introduced him to um, Ballantyne, and uh, he sold his first book, but obviously did quite well. And we're really looking forward to Volume 3 coming out mm-hmm. one of these days. So anyway, but that, yeah, something just getting honorable mention makes a big difference. Yeah. If I can interject, I, I one of the things I did notice about the forum is that, especially among the writer community, anyone who's gotten any form of finalist or honorable mention have it underneath their signature like a bag, badge of honor. It is. Absolutely. Anyway, so Jennifer. Um, I actually really enjoyed just the process, and that sounds a little insane, but <laughs> just being uh, going ahead and submitting. The thing about the contest, as you may know, is that there is no fee to enter, right? There are some contests that you do have to pay, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. But this contest is incredible because you, you know, every quarter you can submit and it doesn't cost you anything. Maybe right. maybe you win, maybe you don't, maybe you get feedback, maybe you don't. But that process of writing is really where improvement comes in, right? I mean, of course you need a little bit of self-awareness. Not everything you write is going to be gold, but yeah. you know, you're supposed to be working on your million words, right? They say, you know, you're mm-hmm. you're aiming for a million words before you really have a good voice, before you really understand the structure of a story, before you sort of know what you're what you're trying to say and how to say it. So keep writing, and this really encourages you to do just that. And so I think that's terrific. Absolutely. Yourself, Sarah. Your tips, like what you what do you think as suggestions why somebody should enter the contest? Um, okay. Some of what you guys were talking about has uh, sparked pieces in my mind. Um, the contest is v- so open. Like the fact that you don't have a fee to submit is really important. There are so many competitions out there that charge for entries. And if you're trying to enter more than once to, to, to win, you just feel like you're pouring your money into something that has no return on investment. Right. And, and I, I, wonder, I wonder where that money goes. I have no idea. Um, but it also means that it's open to people from so many different backgrounds. Yes, we do live in a world where it's going to be important to at least have access to a computer to make your submission. Mm-hmm. But people from all over the world can enter. People from all walks of life can enter. People who are rich can enter. People who are poor and can't afford to enter other competitions can enter. And there's no discrimination against any of that. In fact, one of the very first talks you gave when we got here was a non-discrimination policy. And that is really important. And it and the the blind judging, it really makes this a valuable competition because of the diversity that we can have in it. Yeah, I mean, that's why you saw this weekend Locus was here and Galaxy's Edge magazine was here and Dreamforge was here. Th- this is the market. They're looking for more talent, both artists as well as writers. And based on 
experience, especially with Dreamforge and with um, Galaxy's Edge, where they publish short fiction and they're looking for artists, at least half of what they get, because from before with with um, the previous um, editors, they said it's writers of the future. They just have the best, you know, it's the best rise to the, to the top. And um, Orson Scott Card was saying, you know, just realize that when he had his um, his magazine, uh, the, the medicine show, the yes. uh, intergalactic medicine yes. show. Said, yeah, just just realize other magazines, they're getting writers of futures rejects. You know, <laughs> that's what that's what we get is what writers of future passes on. And he was saying in jest, but he's he's such a staunch supporter of the contest and what it's what it does and what it's been. You know, and the number of people that have entered and gotten their start or at least their encouragement to keep on going. I ran into. Um, this is at an ALA American Library Association convention a few years back. I ran into um, Stephen King's son, um, Joe Hill. Joe Hill. I said, "Are you familiar with the contest?" "Oh yeah, I got an honorable mention." <laughs> you know, the number of people that you know, have entered that now have gone on to very successful careers. You don't, you know, I, I look back sometimes to the earlier all the, the res results, and I see, oh, yeah, all these different names that, you know, have been there. So anyway, so yourself now, what do you, what do you see as, as something that makes it valuable and why somebody should enter the contest and not, like, withhold themselves from submitting? Uh, I love uh, what these wonderful women have said before me, and I feel like everything has been covered. I think that the only thing I'd like to add is, and based off my own experience, and I'm sure you all can relate, is that you, you know, your biggest critic is your own. And if you don't do something to fight against that current of, you know, self-doubt wants to creep in, and it's mm -hmm. going to prevent you from submitting or prevent you from sharing your art or prevent you from sharing your novel. And that's when create, creativity becomes stunted and it doesn't grow into an amazing tree that can blossom flowers. It's like we're... We're stuffing it back into the ground before it can even sprout. Yeah, and I see somebody's blossomed here. <laughs> yeah. Her lay. Yeah, my lay. My mom got me this beautiful lay, and and uh, I love it. Yes. Um, it's smushed because I've been hugging people all day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I just want to impress upon, like, anyone who has a dream that they want to share with the world and whether they want to paint it or write it, it's really, really important to continue to submit no matter how big or small because eventually someday something's going to happen and your confidence is going to grow and you're just going to want to do more and more for yourself and because we have artists in this world that are not pushing back that sproutling they're letting it blossom we have beautiful music we have amazing authors we have incredible painters and that inspires a whole new generation to keep creating so submit, because if you never try, you'll never know. And you got to just love yourself enough to do it. And if you're not sure, just do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know? The worst that's going to happen is you get an email saying, thank you very much, submit again. That's mm -hmm. the very worst that will happen. And that's Actually, there's only one thing worse. <laughs> there's only one thing worse is no communication because of no submission. Mm -hmm. You know, that's actually worse. Okay, so now in the very first issue of Writers of the Future, 
Erwin Hubbard wrote in his introduction saying, a culture is as rich and as capable of surviving as it has imaginative artists. The artist is looked upon to start things. The artist injects the spirit of life into a culture. So ladies, how have you observed that to be true? Oh, sure, I get to go first. Great. <laughs> it is true. Um, one thing that I love about science fiction and fantasy is that it gives you an opportunity to talk about things that may be going on in today's society, but you can talk about it without triggering the current events emotions that may emerge uh, as people might... Um, get excited by current events. Um, but if, but in fiction, well, regular fiction, but particularly science fiction and fantasy, you can touch on rather serious issues uh, in a beautiful environment, an environment with dragons, uh, an environment uh, with, flying saucers that are shaped like beautiful donuts or, you know, something, I don't know what. Um, but you can hit on, on some very difficult issues in a way that really encompasses uh, man's history of storytelling. Because how do we pass on um, our, well, think about what, what you pass on to your children. You teach them by telling stories. And you teach them your values and your beliefs, and it's wonderful. It allows you to discuss issues without people getting angry, and I like that. Exactly. And yourself, Jennifer. Um, I love that, Elaine. That's great. <laughs> uh, I also think, for me, uh, a big part of it is wanting to be able to explore ideas and possibilities. So being able to imagine different places. I mean, human beings, there's a lot of what we do that doesn't change, right? If you think about people in ancient Egypt, right? They had this. They had a lot of the same concerns. They had a lot of the same problems, but they were in a different setting. And so you can think about what changes, what doesn't change, how would we behave if we were in a different environment, uh, what stays constant, what needs to be changed or might benefit from being changed. And I also really like the idea, I mean, that's sort of the practical stuff in a sense. But I, I always like fantasy. I, I say that I like fantasy because I like the idea that there is magic in the world uh, at some level. And I like science fiction because I like the idea that the human race has a future, <laughs> right? And so everything is not apocalypse. Like I think Scott Knoll said when he was giving a talk, right. at, at the end he said, you know, Pessimism is propaganda. They, they want you to think that there is no hope so that you don't take action. And I love the idea that we can build uh, a mental model of the world, of the future, a possibility that allows us to make positive steps in, in a positive direction. That's great. Thank you. So now on the artist side. So starting with you, Sarah. I like when you get a chance to reiterate the question because it keeps it fresh after hearing, listening to them. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. yeah. All right. So here we go. I read to you from the, so I read you this quote, a culture is rich and is capable of surviving as it has imaginative artists. The artist is looked upon to start things. The artist injects the spirit of life into a culture. So how have you observed that to be the case as an, as an artist? So okay. basically that. 
For me, escapism is really important, uh, especially in, in, you know, the past number of years. There's just, there's so much going on in the world that can bring us down and depress us and make us, you know, have a hard time to move forward. And so, you know, there's a lot in, in particular in speculative fiction that, you know, can help figure out where we might be going in the future and to help us grow. But in terms of escapism, I feel like it's just important to, for us always to take a break, to relax. If you're, if you're on and stressed out about things for, for so long, we just get worn out and we, we kind of lose our will. And so having, having a reprieve is very important to, you know, refuel our, our, our inspiration, refuel our brains and, and having, you know, a sense of hopefulness uh, that it's worth continuing. That's great. That's a very good answer. Thank you. And bringing up the rear guard here. April. <laughs> April. Uh, yeah, I'm like, Sarah, can you read it again? <laughs> sure. It so, really helps. Yeah. <laughs> a culture is as rich and as capable of surviving as it has imaginative artists. The artist is looked upon to start things. The artist injects the spirit of life into a culture. So how have you observed that to be the case? Mm. Um, so... I was uh, sitting in on a conversation just a few days ago, and we were talking about uh, Vietnam War, and we were talking about how, you know, so Larry Elmore, you know, he was drafted, and, you know, there was discussion about people who have dreams, uh, people who are attached to a creative, you know, jugular system that flows inside them, and the people that came back and who had dreams were more likely to want to pursue and continue on living uh, than people who didn't have dreams or goals. They just, you know, didn't want to, you know, that was it. Like, just, okay, I'm just going to give up now. And I kind of wrap that in with this because when you have a creative goal, for me, what I believe, um, there is a lot more essence to life. Um, I have not seen what it's like to be on the other side of things because I've always had a passion for art, always had a passion for drawing, and I've surrounded myself with creative people my entire life. And we see we see things differently. We interact with the world differently. And there's just a connection to, you know, I'd call it the source or whatever. You know, personally, I'm not a religious person, but I am spiritual. And I do feel like when I'm connected with my art, I feel like I'm connected to the universe. I'm connected with something so much bigger than myself, and it gives me this incredible desire to just soak up everything that I can. And there's a love in it, and I want to connect with people because I want to experience that creativity too. And, and you know, that creates dreams. And I feel like that's, you know, you have a vision for the future, and you just, you continue to see that vision in a way that's beyond just making a painting. It's like, well, I just can't wait to paint till I die. Like it's this, <laughs> this unquenchable thirst that I have to express my creativity and to share it with other people. And and I think that builds worlds. It helps build societies. It helps build dreams that come into fruition because um, it's not just the end goal. There's always something else that lies after that. And you know, and it makes me proud to be human. It makes me proud to be attached to that part of myself. And I think that's where I want to tie it in with that. Awesome. So. I mean, obviously, this is a contest that was created by Mr. Hubbard before maybe some of us you were born. <laughs> <laughs> 83. So, so, all right. So it's 
it's been going on for, for a goodly while. And so I'm just curious, have any of you um, read any of his books at all? Um, I read Typewriter in the Sky. That was Mike Resnick's favorite story of his, yeah. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it actually comes up several times because it's, it's the grandfather of recursive science fiction. Yes, and that's what impressed me about it. Um, I, I don't, I won't discuss the plot, but basically, a guy's typing, or, or there's a, a Horace man. Hackett. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. You might assume by the name that he may not be the highest quality of of a writer, Mister yeah. Hack. It, <laughs> um, but uh, in any event, his uh, best friend. Um, Somehow realize somehow gets trapped in one of Horace's stories, and the poor man is trapped in this caricature of a character, and he has to. And but he still is himself. So it's like, oh no, do I really now have to like you know rescue the damsel? Do I really have? To? And he knows also that in all of all of Mister Hackett's stories. Uh, his type of character always ends up dead. So he's like very upset that he has to live uh, in this uh, book, so to speak. So he tries, um, but whenever Horace isn't typing, this man can kind of influence the story. So, you know, oh, good, now I'm not going to have to die. Oh, good, maybe I can get the girl. But then Horace starts typing again. And then the whole scene shifts. (laughs) And the whole scene shifts. Um, So it's a fun story. It was uh, fun to read. Um, But what impressed me about it is, as you said, it was the first of of that style. You used the phrase recursive science fiction. But... I remember a Twilight Zone episode that was like that, but Typewriter in the Sky came first. There's um, the Will Ferrell movie. Yeah, Stranger Than Fiction. Stranger Than Fiction, which is, you know, something similar. And I've seen other films. The movie review said, that's L. Ron Hubbard's Typewriter in the Sky. Which is accurate. Yeah. Um, But what impressed me is that uh, it was first. And I'm always amazed how does somebody do that first? I understand now. I could write a, well. I, I I could write a story using that plot device. Yeah. But how did somebody come up with it first? Um, so that was a fun story to read. He apparently had a very good year. I think it was 1940 or 41. He wrote Typewriter in the Sky. He wrote Fear that um, a it's bunch all, of that folks, also created. Yeah, so it was the yeah. first psychological thriller because up to the point horror. Was all slash and gash, yeah. You know, and yeah. this became psychological thriller. Yeah, it was originally titled Phantasmagoria. Oh, and then it's changed to uh, to fear. Fear's that's a when much Stephen King title. calls Ray Bradbury, um, um, Block, the one that wrote uh, Psycho. Right. They all said this is this is the best, and it, some of them helped get their start in writing that genre. Yeah, I'm I'm afraid to read it actually, so <laughs> because I don't care for horror. Um, Oh, you read it? Oh, boy. Okay. So you're on. I did. Uh, I read Fear, and it's true. I'm not a huge horror fan. I can see why you wouldn't. It was scary, right? And But it was a psychological scary, yeah. which made it worse. Um, I, I enjoyed it, but it was funny. I was reading it, and I was having trouble because it was scary. Um, but I'm like, oh, you know, it was taking me forever to read it. 
And so I was getting feedback from people. It's like, have you finished it yet? No, I haven't finished it yet. It's still scary. But I'm working my way through it, and it was all about the character. It was all about how this person, you know, his life inside the mind and what's happening to him. But I won't, I won't go into it. I won't spoil it for you. But um, it was interesting because about halfway through, I was like, how is, how is he going to pull this off? How is he going to bring this home in a way that is – both interesting in a plot sense, but also psychologically satisfying. And I was like, is he going to be able to stick this landing? And at the end, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> did, I did not see that coming when I read it. Yeah, no, neither did I. And I was like, okay, you know, he did it. He 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 landed it. But yeah, it was scary, Elaine. It yeah, was, I don't yeah. 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 Even Stephen King said, "Don't read it. Don't read it alone at night. <laughs> read it. Read it during the day. Don't read it at night. Early in the day. So yeah, I can watch SpongeBob before I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why uh, Street and Smith brought him into. He was in, he was a, a uh, one of the highest paid adventure writers, and he was brought into this new publication that was just being uh, taken over and started up again, called Astounding Science Fiction. And uh, Campbell was brought in as the first editor, and, and he um, he was one of a few authors, adventure authors that that Campbell was told publish whatever he submits. You know, not like do your edit thing, just publish. Because up to that point, science fiction and fantasy were was machine driven, was was um, anything but character driven and his stories are all character driven which is what you observe there in that and so and the same thing in typewriter in the sky the character driven it's like you really know who these people are and so that's what he that's what he did on that stuff I mean, are, are any of you others familiar with anything by yeah we we were all given a copy of fear to read but i actually because i'm not into horror asked if i could get something else instead because i was like oh i didn't i didn't want to have that be my one right. impression um and so I read uh, To the Stars, and I'd actually, instead of reading it, I went ahead and listened to the audio recording of Isn't it. Isn't that awesome? And oh my goodness, the people that you get to do the audio recordings of the L. Ron Hubbard books, they are fantastic. They do such a good job of bringing these characters to life. And, and L. Ron Hubbard does write characters that you want to, you, you, you feel for them. You really, you know, he, he is very character driven. I love character driven mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Uh, that I, I wanted to feel for this character and so, you know, not everything always goes great for him and, and you, oh no. And you know, I was, I was worried about the ending and, and I won't give anything away, but. I, you know, I, I did enjoy the story. It was very yeah, good. Yeah, we re-released it in the early 2000s because it originally came out. At that point, it was, it was uh, like 60 years old. And I, it was, um, what's that? Ma it's the weekly magazine, uh, not Newsweek. It's not U.S. It's um, another one. Anyway, um, they, they, have, they feature uh, books and they do... They, they interviewed. They basically reviewed that one there based upon a review that I got from PW, and it got an A minus. And because um, I was I was sweating it because this is a book that was sixty years old, and they're reviewing it and they said the science still holds up and um, it's gritty, you know, just it's time dilation theory which still hasn't been changed, you know, as a technology. And so it was the first novel written on time dilation from the general public sense, you know, because he'd say that when he went to GW, George Washington University, but it's the um, Lawrence Fitzgerald equation as 
um, mass approaches the speed of light, time approaches zero. And that's what's the whole thing of this. And where he goes out to when that ship goes out and then they come back to Earth, for them, they've only aged maybe a year, but their people are, are long gone now. They're, they're dead. So you come back and you have, you come back to Earth and there's new political structures, there's new religions, there's new things there. And they can't go out to look for a certain technology for a certain type of fuel because by the time they come back, the need for that fuel is long past. So it's, it's a whole, the economics of it, the, 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 it's just amazing, a different view of looking at. It's very dynamic. Yeah, you know, and it, it, like I said, it got great reviews on when it came out again, but that was, that's great. That's, a, you know, it's, it's a really good story. Um, it was, um, Jerry Purnell said that was, his, that was his favorite science fiction story. He said it was the science, that's the best science fiction story ever written anywhere, anytime. That was his favorite. Awesome. I it, like Terry Purnell. Yeah, so did I. Okay, good. So what was your, for you for this week, what's been the most cherished moment? Okay, I get to go first again. Again. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't want to claim a particular moment, but what I very much enjoyed was meeting my fellow winners. Agreed. I think that was yeah. the most cherished aspect. How about if I yeah, say yeah, that? that? Makes, okay, good. The cherished aspect was uh, to have the opportunity to hang out with folks who love the writing and who want to improve and who are interested in it and who are great people and illustrators included. <laughs> um, and that was the most cherished moment. I, I felt a sense of community. and. I don't know if this is true for the artists, but, you know, they say that sometimes writing can be lonely. I mean, you're there with your blank sheet of paper or blank screen, uh, but it's nice to connect with other folks. And I think that was the most cherished aspect of it for me, as great as all the instructors were, and they were great and diverse. I mean, it wasn't just about writing. It was also all about the business of it, but it was... That was, for me, the best. Great. What she said. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay, fine. It sounds right. But, yeah, I mean, the instructors were fantastic. It was fascinating to see all the different varieties of, of experiences and ideas of what this particular career can be. But being able to meet the writers, being able to meet my illustrator, being able to meet everyone who was here was just great, right? And so you really get a sense of... Uh, a community, a sense that people, you're not alone in, in this particular endeavor, and that's a great thing to have. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, is because I'll interview people, because like what um, some of the past winners have said, and even the judges, that well, I'll work with you for however long. If you're interested, look at you, send me something, or say, I got a new book coming out. You know, I've got people from 20 years ago, um, the current, the current, um, Susan Krupa, she was a winner 30-plus years ago. I saw her at, at uh, Life Universe and everything. Susan, I haven't seen you forever. And so I did an interview with her, you know, and she ended up with a couple million listens and people getting to know more. And she was like, this is just so amazing. We'll definitely work with anybody to be able to help and support them. But when I asked her, are you still in touch with any of your fellow winners? Oh, yeah. we're st That group 
30 plus years ago is still together. There's still people that are like, yeah, and we communicate, we see each other sometimes at conventions and it's, it really is that strong of, it's that tight that it survives that many decades. That's great. Can I list three most cherished things? Sure. Okay. Uh, I will reiterate that one, absolutely. The, the sense of community. We, we really have built a group uh, we are people who will be able to get in touch with. Uh, I've heard about, you know, previous uh, writers getting together, maybe even with a different illustrator or the same illustrator. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it's a different pair. That's that's the better team up for a different type of project. But, yeah, we've built a huge community. Uh, these are people we can, you know, uh, take with us for the rest of our lives, both with you know, uh, the artists and the writers who were winners this year, but also with uh, Galaxy Press and Author Services, because you guys have extended your services to us basically lifelong. We could reach out and be like, hey, can you help promote this new book? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. These are these are lifelong connections that we're making to build our our careers and and help each other. We are we are all lifting each other up. Um but to continue, I mean I know I know what what one of April's most cherished moments is going to be. Like, a- like April, I am also a huge fan of Larry Elmore, and, and it was seeing his Dragonlance covers in high school, for me, was my first introduction to this form of art as, this is something that people do. Uh-huh. I could, I can do that. I can... I could do that. <laughs> I could do that. That that's fantastic, and it it yeah, it's all comes back to Larry Elmore's Dragonlance covers for me. So, uh, getting to meet him, getting to s- just n- spend time with him and learn about him as a person, and shake his hand and give him a hug that that was that is a very cherished moment. But one of the other ones uh, that was very important to me was the portfolio reviews. They basically had you know, 10 tables set up with 10 of our artist judges. And we just swapped tape. We just played musical chairs every 10 minutes and, and got to have a different judge give their take on our body of work. And not everyone has the same opinion, but you can absorb from everyone and see all the different ways you could improve. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, yeah, I, I ditto. Ditto and ditto. Uh, <laughs> everything. Um, well, okay. So uh, I'm going to have to say four uh, greatest okay, moments. Uh, yeah. To meet my fellow winners, the illustrators and the writers, such a blessing, such an honor. And to meet you and to meet, uh, you know, the people that I saw on Zoom for the first time and to meet them in person and meet Joni in person and Maliva and and to meet all the new you know, amazing faces behind the scene that helped make this possible. And I really feel like you were part of a family. Mm-hmm. I never felt like, you know, I'm on the outside, they're on the inside. I just felt like we are all on the inside together. And that was really important for me because I love community. Uh, I love to feel like I'm a part of a tribe. <laughs> um, and then uh, the other one was... We're, we're family. Yeah, we're family. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. it's awesome. I love that. And it's and, funny. It's just funny. I'm just going to interject this too. It sometimes takes several days for someone to let the defenses and barriers down, just accept that, that there's no strings attached. It's just a straight, you know, a common love of the genre and of artists and art is just, it's what holds us together. That's the glue. And that's 
what was originally conceived by Mr. Hubbard when he created this thing. It's just, that's why there's no entry fee. You maintain all the rights to your art. You maintain all the rights to your story. We just ask that we get to publish it first, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just, that's just how it is. Yeah, that's which is very rare in this day and age where you have exist. people just wanting to help other people for the sake of helping other people. It's like, what, this is, this is a utopian society idea. Like, and wow, it just works because... I think it, you know, that's what people want to do is we just want to help each other, you know, not, yeah. not so I can make money off your back or, you know, so that you can do me a favor 10 years from now. It's just like, no, I just want to help you because I want to help you and vice yeah. versa. Um, it, it was yeah. so impressive um, when we toured the uh, L. Ron Hubbard Library and the section when you went to the contest winners. Mm -hmm. Did you guys see that? I mean, I know you saw it. It was so cool because you see, uh, oh, and the judges too, but you see the initial contest winners and, oh, look, they wrote this book. Oh, wow, they have that book. Oh, look at what that artist did. Oh, look how this artist, uh, you know, was uh, illustrated that. It was, it was really cool. And what you were talking about, April, the idea of the generosity of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the word I would use to define it. Yeah. Generosity. Mm. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a lot of fun. We've actually gone through a whole hour. Wow. You know, uh -oh. when you both, when you all sat down and were just like giggling and no, 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 it's like, okay, this is going to be a fun one. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to let this one just run. And it was, it was so good. I'm so glad I was able to get all four of you, you know, for the for this for this talk, it's great. Half writers, half artists. Yeah, this and is good. This is great. It was wonderful. This is fun. Yeah. We should do this more often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will be able to invite you back as things proceed, and when I see maybe at Dragon Con, we can do other one there as, as well. That would, that would be my honor. Yes, I would. That would make me very happy. Oh, good. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We're especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrond Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you.